Um, and it's, on one hand, it's simple, but on the other hand, it's complicated. How do you love that? And, uh, and so, um, and so as, as we uh, look at this, um, I know in one moment you'll probably be like, oh, I got it. And then the next one you're like, well, that's confusing. And so if that is you, that's what I feel as I've been working through this for the last month, okay? Um, so you're in, you're in a good place. Um, or I don't know if it's a good place, but I think that's the humility of understanding the things of God. And so I, I want to start here by uh, Jesus' words. Matthew 4, um, he just came out of the wilderness. Uh, he's beginning his ministry, and this is some of the words that he uh, says in the very beginning from Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He says, uh, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this is where Jesus begins his ministry. He begins by saying, what is at hand? The kingdom of heaven, okay? And again, when scripture uses kingdom of heaven, it's synonymous with the kingdom of God. Well, why do they use two? I don't know. But they're, they're saying about uh, the same thing. And so what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? And so um, it's another state of reality or being. Okay? And so, uh, and since it's a kingdom, every kingdom has a what? Has a king. Exactly. Okay? And so who is the king of the kingdom of God? God, more specifically or personally, would be Jesus Christ. He is the revelation of God. He is the great I am. And, um, and so he is the king. And, and, and actually, over the last you know, month or so, we, we've talked about this in little bits and pieces. In the Experiencing God, we had a message about this. And then even you know, uh, last month when we were talking about uh, the prophecy in Isaiah, um, God's kingdom. And so God's kingdom, um, it, is a, it, it is a now. It is real now. But is God's kingdom fully engaged the way he intends it to be? No, no. We are looking expectantly. What, what are we looking forward to? Jesus is coming, absolutely. There is better news. And so uh, that should be um, on our heart. And so, um, and again, and so when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom in a literal way, um, it will be fully realized by any and everyone, okay? But we're not there, so we're in, the, we're in the, well, it's now, but we're not fully there. And so I think, as I mentioned before, where we, where we, where we, we feel that gap, that's the gap, okay? Another way to put it, it, it would be where it's the place where Jesus is ruling, you know, or in a sense of um, the believers that are responding in obedience to Christ, okay? And so just like he is ruling, but is most of this world following his commands? No, no, they're, they're in rebellion of him. They want to they set up their own kingdom. They want to live their way. And, um, and so the kingdom of God, and I think this is where, you know, uh, the relationship between the church, you know, we gather here together, the community of believers, and who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. 
okay? And so we, we have that sense of the family of God. But for most of our week, do we gather together every day? Not in our culture now. Now they did in, in Acts chapter, you know, in the beginning of the church. Um, so throughout the week, you know, Christ's rule, Christ is everywhere that you go. He's at your workplace. He's at the grocery store. He, he's in the car with you when you're driving your kids to wherever. And so I think that's the simplicity of as we are submitting to the rule of Christ, that is the kingdom of God, that he is making his presence uh, known. And so that's, on one hand, the simplicity of it, but on the other hand, the complexity of it. So these kingdom stories, uh, what, what are they about? They're, they're parables. Um, Jesus used these uh, stories that were everyday examples. Um, and most of these parables, uh, they don't contain uh, actual people. They don't contain names. You know, you don't ever see names in them or uh, specific people. Uh, they were stories. They, were, they are fictional. But they're fictional to help us understand one spiritual reality, one spiritual truth. And so we always have to be careful about the parable, Jesus' parables, that we don't try to make them say more than what they were supposed to say. We don't make every detail in the story say something. That wasn't Jesus' intent. Jesus' intent is to tell, is, is to communicate one spiritual truth. And so that's the challenge. What is the spiritual truth that Jesus is saying here? And that we don't make him say more than what uh, he is saying. Now, on the other side, Jesus tells parables to help people understand about the spiritual realm. But another part of the reason why Jesus was telling parables in his day was to conceal. It was to say the religious leaders who weren't believing him, it, it was to hide the truth from them. And so we have to keep that in mind, that as we look at these parables, um, and we're going to see examples, some of them, his disciples would say, ah, what are you talking about? And he would say, well, let me explain it to you. And so even, even in that, they demonstrated, the disciples demonstrated, in their lack of understanding, them asking questions revealed their hunger for God that they wanted to know him. And so I think that's the case for us. You know, when we don't understand something, how do we respond to that? What does that look like? Do we, do we, do we seek? Um, do we ask other believers? I mean, this is why we need community. This is why we need other people in our life. And, uh, you know, when I stand up here, I don't stand up here because I sat in a room by myself all week, and I'll just, me and Jesus will get it together. No, I go to other commentaries or or talk to other people, or bounce it off with my family, or the other pastors. And, you know, we, we learn in community because we need to help one another. And so that, that hunger, and, and the, the disciples uh, show that for us, show that to us. And so here's what I would say, too. I think, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why uh, the pastors, we, we picked this series in the beginning of the year, and we'll just be up front, it's 2024. And what is 2024? Exactly. And so what does that mean? That means that there's going to be all kinds of things going on this year. And we very intentionally want to get our focus on the right 
thing. And the right thing is the kingdom of God. The right thing is Jesus Christ, who is Lord. And that we would keep perspective there. And he is the only one who will ever bring peace and righteousness to this planet. There is no political figure, past, present, future. They will try. And so we want to put the right thing in perspective. And, and to be very intentional about that. Because we know as things heat up throughout the year, we as Christians, we can lose it. And where's our hope? Where's our trust? And we need to keep that in perspective. Now, as I say that, I'm not saying we, we don't vote. I'm not saying those things don't matter. You know, so don't translate that as that. But it's let's keep our priority where our priority needs to be. So Matthew, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Very familiar verse. And again, it's just been interesting reading through some of these passages um, how often Jesus did talk about the kingdom of God. And this is going to be one that you are very familiar with. Matthew 6, verse 33. What did Jesus say in the Sermon of the Mount? Well, he said a lot of things, but what does he say in verse 33? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And so that's the perspective. Are we seeking the kingdom of God? Are we seeking the king? Is that the pursuit of our life? And that's the perspective that God wants us to have. Um, and so uh, uh, on New Year's Eve, um, Leah was flying back to South Korea, and a couple days before, one of her uh, co-workers, um, who his parents uh, live in the States, um, or their, their home right now, um, said, hey, you know, we're on the same flight, you know, how about we get our families together and have dinner together, and then, uh, and then we can go to the airport, and uh, you guys can jump on 80 and drive five hours the other way. And so they say, he said, hey, right, out there, right, right near Newark Airport, there's an Iranian restaurant, okay? And uh, we said, hey, you know, we're always up to try something different. And so we ate at this uh, Iranian uh, restaurant, um, and I was excited to be able to talk because this other couple um, have been church planners in the Middle East. Uh, they were in one of the, one of the bull countries. I, I can't remember. the FD, I, I forget which the, what, what they are. I can never keep them straight. Um, uh, but near recently, they, uh, they have been in Turkey. And, so, um, and one of the things that they were, were sharing with us is um, there's a lot of Iranian immigrants that have come into uh, Turkey. And the, the, the Iranian immigrants are hungry for Jesus Christ. They are seeing, you know, like in the last year, a hundred of them come to know Christ, or even more than that. There is a fertile soil compared to the last place they were at planted a church, it, they were spending 10 years and there was maybe one convert to Jesus Christ in 10 years. It was one of those bull countries. I can't remember what they are. So, um, Stan, thank you. See, I even said it wrong. What are some of them? Is, 
Well, Istanbul is the capital. That's in Turkey. There, there you go. See? See, we're all in the same boat. Anyway. But so, over a 10-year period, you know, one believer, you know, and so what is it? There, there is a lack of spiritual sensitivity. And, and you know, here the, I, these immigrants from Iran, there is a hunger. And what do, what do we, you know, as I'm listening, I'm sitting here, all I hear about Iran is the leaders of the country that are evil and horrific and, you know, fill in the blank. And yet the people that are living there, again, not all of them, but they're seeing that the way of their country is not right. And then you compound it on top of that, their religion is smashed in the middle of all of those things. And what is it creating? It is creating a hunger for Jesus Christ. And so, um, and so I think in that, as we, as we think about kingdoms in this world and what we hear on the news at times, beyond what we hear, God is always at work, even in some of the most difficult harsh circumstances and places. And so that was refreshing uh, just to hear that, of how, because um, I know, I, I mean, I know, uh, there can be a tendency in Western PA to see there's, there's not that hunger for Jesus Christ. There's some, but, you know, as you talk to people, I'm sure that's that your experience, you know, hey, you have your thing, and that's fine, but I'm living my life the way I want to live it. Don't talk to me about that stuff. You're a goody two-shoe, or whatever they, they say. And so, but that we would be seeing a hunger uh, for uh, Christ. So turn over to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at two really, really short parables. I'm going to read the first one here. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Very short story. What is he saying here? This guy's just out in the field, and again, there's a lot of unknowns. And we don't need to know all the, 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 know, the unknowns of the knowns. And he's just saying that, hey, there's this guy who's out in the field digging around, and all of a sudden he comes upon, he finds a treasure. He wasn't looking for it. He was just simply doing what he was supposed to be doing, whether he was working. Or, and again, we don't know, and it doesn't really matter. But what we do know is this man found a hidden treasure. And so what does he do? He covers it back up. Why would you do that? Well, because he didn't own the field. And so what does he do? He goes back to his own belongings, and he realizes the value of that treasure. And what does it, what does it say? That he, what does he do? He sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Because he recognized that what he found was truly valuable. And in fact, more valuable than all that he had. We're told that he is joyful about this. Um, he says, then in his joy, he goes 
It wasn't a burden to sell all of his stuff. Why wasn't it a burden to sell all of his stuff? Answer? Yeah, he found something far better. And so when you compare the two together, it's like, you know what? This isn't hard. Because I found something far greater and far more valuable than all the things that I've had. And so what is the parable teaching us? He's, I mean, it's teaching us a number of things, but the, the main point that he's saying here is that the kingdom, uh, th- that we have access to Jesus Christ. And when we find him who is the most treasured person in comparison to all the other things of our life, there's no comparison. And that sacrifice isn't very difficult. Why? Because he is of greater value. He is the top priority. And I don't know if you think of any, uh, you know, think of other stories or examples in Jesus' life in contrast to this person. Think of, remember the story of the rich young ruler. Remember when he came to Jesus and said, hey, how can I have eternal life? And, and what did Jesus, you know, Jesus kind of confronted him. Hey, you got a good life, but you know what? You're missing something. Go sell all of your stuff and then come follow me. And what did the rich young ruler do? Well, if it, if it, if it costs that, I'm not parting with my stuff. I'm not willing to do that. Because he didn't realize the treasure of Jesus Christ, the king and his kingdom. In this story, the man sells it all because Jesus Christ is very valuable, is more valuable. And so again, we see the example here. He wasn't even looking for Jesus. He wasn't looking for the treasure. He simply stumbled on him. The second parable, look in verse 45. This one's a little bit different, but kind of the same principle in a sense. Let me read it, verse 45 and verse 46. He says, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So what do we have here? He's a merchant. So obviously his lifestyle was about searching for the most cherished pearl that he could find. He was going after it, looking for it very intentionally in contrast to the first story where he just kind of stumbled on it. All right? So this one is going and searching for, uh, for the, a fine pearl. And what happens? He finds the pearl of great, of the pearl of great value. And so he finds it, and, 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 and again, he knows, because he's a merchant, he knows it's not a knockoff, it's not a fake one. And so what does he do? How does he respond when he finds this pearl? He does the same thing the first guy does. He sold all that he had, 
and he buys the pearls. And again, what's the point of the parable? <laughs> the point is, when we find the kingdom of God, when we find the king and understand who Jesus Christ is, the right response is, he is of greater value and worth than anything else in this world. Than anything. You name it. And when we truly understand who he is and what he is about, then we too, the way we see that we're understanding who Christ is is because we will start doing that. We don't talk about it, we do it. It's not just words, but it's, it's action. And so that's what we see uh, this, um, this merchant do. He knows how valuable the pearl is, and he sells it all to buy it. And again, the principle is the same here, that when we find Christ, he is worthy of everything that we give up and everything that we sacrifice. Remember when the disciples said to Jesus that, you know, where, where do we go? What else do we have? You know, didn't they make sacrifices? And he said, hey, you know, what you're sacrificing is, it's nothing. Your father will, you will never be disappointed by what you give up for the Lord. Doesn't mean you'll have it all. And so we see that. And so as we think about uh, the kingdom of God, as we think about the king, and again, we're all in process here. And so wherever you're at in the process, wherever you are at in relationship to the king and his kingdom, you know, what are the things that you need to be surrendering? Where is the spirit of God working in your life to help you see that, you know what, it's easy to say, Jesus is number one in my life, but is he really? What am I holding on to? What am, I hold, you know, what, what am I not allowing uh, God to have his way um, in my life? And it's easy to look and say, well, what? If you know who Christ is, why wouldn't you just surrender? We tend to be selfish, don't we? And we don't really like discomfort. Anybody here like discomfort? No. If it was 50 degrees in this room, or if it was 90 degrees in this room, you'd be like, what's wrong with the thermostat? Now, I know there's probably some already in here, but you like comfort, right? The bottom line is, when we, as we follow Christ, we will not stay comfortable. God won't allow us to stay comfortable. Because he is the great I am. And those songs, what perfect songs. He is the holy one. There is none like him. And he is worth the sacrifice. He is worthy of all of that. And so as we look at these other kingdom stories, I mean, let's consider that. Where is the Spirit of God prompting? Where, where is he pointing out that maybe nobody else knows, but between you and God, you know what you need to be letting go of. What does that look like? What does that mean?
So we're going to go back to, uh, in, in response here, um, back to Psalm 103. And uh, if you can bring up, just bring up the first verse. So as we talk about comfort and discomfort and and you know prayer is one of those places and so i just you know as i was kind of looking through you know just taking this psalm and taking a few moments to give opportunities to pray quietly but even more um to think beyond ourselves and uh to let jesus christ be the focus um and to praise god and to bless him um, with some of the things that he says here. And so, uh, so that's what I'm going to ask you. You know, some of you, I know not everyone, you know, some of you maybe you will never pray in front of him, and that's fine. Um, but we want to give this opportunity that we would hold Christ up as he is the Lord. He is worthy of our discomfort. He is worthy of our praise. And, uh, and so, and some of you to express some of those things, you know, allowing Psalm 103 uh, to prompt that. And so if you can bring, yeah, this first verse. Um, and so here's where um, you want to give you the opportunity to, to, to say out loud verbally or to say in your heart, um, you know, what are ways that, uh, that you can bless the Lord um, and bless his holy name? And so go ahead and do that silently, or some of you maybe do that uh, out loud and just say, God, I praise you for and then fill in the blank. you are the most high. Second verse there, bless the Lord on my soul and forget not all, not all of his benefits. So let's praise God for just, what are, what are his benefits? How does he benefit us? How does he make our life better? 
Thank you, God, that you are always available and attentive. You are never, you are never too busy. that you are committed to us. You will not give up. This last area that we can praise him, he redeems our life from the pit. He forgives our iniquity. He heals our diseases. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. So maybe say examples of ways that he forgives us and he redeems our life from the pit.